0: are continuing in our vision series, which we do every fall as sort of the start of our church calendar year. And we use this time to unpack the vision and values of the church. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 3, verse 12. And we will pick up there in our... A moment by way of reminder uh, the vision statement of the church that we are unpacking through this series is this uh, we are a genuine expression of the family of God faithful to Scripture centered on the gospel and committed to making resilient disciples we value life in the spirit, in which the church becomes a participatory body passionately seeking the kingdom of God in prayer and worship as God empowers us for his global mission in both neighborhoods and nations. And this statement that kind of sums up who we are and who God is calling us to be can be broken down into eight individual values. And so far through the series over the last few weeks, we've touched on five of those eight values, including prayer and worship, uh, gospel-centered, participatory body, uh, empowered for the global mission of God, Faithful to Scripture was last week, and this morning we're going to talk about being a genuine expression of the family of God. Uh, We are going to pick up in Colossians 3, verse 12, where um, Paul is writing to the church, and I'm actually going to invite uh, Emma up, and she's going to read the verses for us this morning. chances of listening to those verses just went way up. Uh, Before we continue, I'll ask you to join me in prayer. Jesus, uh, it is a joy to be gathered together with you this morning in a time, place, and culture where it is legal uh, to do so. And uh, while we rejoice in that freedom and that ability, we also recognize that there are things about our time, place, and culture that hinder us in our faith and hinder our walk with you. And we want to follow you with our eyes wide open. We want to uh, take hold of the things uh, that uh, Emma just read about in those verses. And uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would open our eyes, that you would uh, sort of part the Red Sea of cultural confusion and uh, lead us through in a distinct way to a new uh, place that we uh, would be salt and light in uh, this city uh, and for this generation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 500 years ago, an idea arose, uh, a system of ideas, what we would call an ideology. And this ideology was perhaps a logical outgrowth of what had been bubbling underneath the surface in the 14th and 15th centuries, but at the same time, it was radical in its thinking. Uh, This system, this ideology, has come to be known as liberalism. And when we hear the word liberalism in the United States, we most naturally probably think of the word liberal, and then we think of the political left, or the Democrats. Uh, In reality, liberalism as an ideology is much bigger than that, and it actually encompasses both the right and the left in our country. Uh, They are both um, pieces of the larger picture, a broader system or ideology called liberalism. And liberalism was radical because it redefined liberty and it redefined anthropology, or what it means to be human. Historically, uh, through the, throughout the history of the Western world, if you trace through Greek and Roman and eventually Christian culture and thinking, uh, liberty, or freedom, was defined in terms of self-control. Uh, freedom was the ability to transcend your selfish and immature desires, what the scriptures would call the flesh, and to arrive at a place of greater maturity and self-control, to rule yourself, rising above the desires that would otherwise distract and destroy you. In Christian thinking, we would say that Jesus brings true freedom by liberating us from the power of Satan, sin, and death. If you uh, trace the biblical storyline in the biblical language, the Bible would say, hey, we were enslaved to those powers, but through the atoning death of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, we are being miraculously set free from the powers that once bound us. If you've given your life to Jesus, we can now say with confidence, you are a new creation. You are no longer bound... Uh, to, to Satan, sin, and death. You are no longer a slave to your flesh. You are free. This is the ancient and biblical definition of freedom. But then liberalism came on the scene and it flipped the concept of liberty on its head. It said, in essence, that liberty, or freedom, was no longer about freedom from your base desires, but rather it was the freedom to pursue your base desires. In other words, freedom is not about putting the flesh to death, but about bringing it to life and letting it run wild. Freedom was redefined. It is no longer about being rescued from the bondage of sin and shaped into the image of Jesus. Now, freedom is about doing whatever the heck I want, when I want, however I want, with whoever I want. And thus, uh, liberalism set out to tear down anything that stood in its path. First on the list, uh, liberalism set out to eliminate tyranny, arbitrary rule, and oppression. And that first thing on the list is actually awesome and biblical uh, to to stand in opposition to those things. That was completely in line with what followers of Jesus had been doing for over 2,000 years. Uh, Resist and overturn the emperor and the empire that he represented Resist uh, tyranny and oppression Uh, that's very biblical in a lot of ways But the problem was that liberalism didn't stop there. It couldn't stop there It ended up taking on a life of its own. It gained its own momentum It had this inescapable logic to it and it just kept going Next on the list was tradition and religion because they restrain our flesh, they constrain us, they tell us what we can and cannot do. And if liberty is following my flesh, then they also have to go. So we'll um, break those down and deconstruct them and set them aside. Next uh, on the list was to target any form of morality or outside responsibility it began broadened out, hey, any external rules or obligations constrain my freedom, as newly defined, Uh, they have to go as well. But by logical extension then, any form of culture, any system of expectations, and any external commitment, including the strong bonds that existed between communities and even family units. So you're starting with something very big and universal and you're taking that same logic and drilling it down into more and more intimate spheres until the last thing on the list, the strongest and most intimate bonds within humanity are are being targeted and weakened and set aside. That would be the bond of marriage and the bond between parents and their children. Uh, Those must now be redefined, not as strong bonds and commitments, but as weak ones. Uh, Marriage is redefined as something to be engaged in by consumers for their enjoyment. Marriage is is no longer about the other, it's about you. Are, Are you satisfied? Are you happy? Are you getting what you deserve? So so the the very idea of marriage bond is now beginning to weaken into a consumer bond. And even the bond between parents and children, and and this is a little bit out front, but one of the things that's currently brewing in our culture is the idea, which a lot of us in the room are parents, so this is going to sound really shocking, but it's the idea that parents actually don't owe anything to their children, That, that placing that expectation on them is, again, a restraint of their freedom, And what should happen, what's being proposed, is that you start with a blank slate. Parents don't know anything to their children. And they will literally write and form a contract with each child saying, this is what I am now. I'm starting from scratch, but this is what I agree to do for you. But if someone doesn't hold up the contract, uh, then that contract can, can be set aside. So you see what started as this sort of broad idea of freedom from oppression actually became uh, this sort of acid dissolving cultures and bonds as it's worked its way down. Liberalism has attacked and undermined every form of bonds, commitments, community, or obligation. Because all of them are now framed as a constraint on my liberty. So you could ask the average person, what does it mean to be free? How can I be free? Like just gut level on the streets, what does that mean in our culture? Well, it means I need to tear down every form of external authority, expectation, or obligation. All of that stuff, get your morality off my body. Get your laws off of my life. Get your cultural expectations off of me. That, that is a constraint, you're, you're not the boss of me. You, you have no authority over me. Who are you to tell me what to do? That is a restraint on my freedom. In a sense, within our secular culture, We would say, I am not free until I'm completely alone, until I owe nothing to anyone, and life is all about me. This is the logic of liberalism taken to its logical end. This is the modern definition of freedom. And along with that redefinition of freedom, In a fascinating twist, liberalism actually reinvented history as well and changed the definition of what it means to be human. No longer is humanity made in God's image, made for relationship, made for commitment to one another in human community, made to create and cultivate culture together. Instead, liberalism said, We believe that the original state of humanity was isolated individuals without culture, commitment, or connection who, and this is a quote, sprung up like mushrooms, independent of one another in the wilderness. Now, this is nonsensical but this is literally the basis for liberalism and secularism. That human beings sprouted up with no commitment, no culture, no community, independence of one another. This is actually behind an increasing amount of the material that's taught in colleges and universities. There are some really intellectual people who have really high IQs, who buy into this, even though it doesn't really make sense. But here's the point. In the church, within biblical community, we long to get back to the Garden of Eden, where God and humans and creation were all connected to one another and flourishing as God intended sort of a biblical cry that isn't fulfilled until Revelation, is, is to go back to that place, back to the beginning. But liberalism says we need to return to our original, what they call, state of nature. We need to return to our original state of nature in which nobody is connected to anyone, there are no commitments, and there is no no culture. So we actually agree with liberalism uh, that humanity needs to get back to its original state. We just have completely different conceptions of what that original state was. We actually agree with liberalism that humanity is in bondage and needs to be liberated, needs to be set free. We just have completely different concepts of what freedom is and what we are in bondage to. And I know this is all a bit dense. I'm essentially attempting to summarize hundreds of pages of political philosophy uh, down into about five or ten minutes. So forgive me for that. Uh, But here's the point. When liberalism was unleashed upon the world, it essentially acted like an acid, dissolving bonds between human beings and breaking communities down into isolated individuals. And this was not an accident. This does not speak to the failure of liberalism. It speaks to its success. It did what it was designed to do. But the problem of liberalism is that it was too successful. And and there's at least two aspects of this problem that I wanna point out briefly. Uh, The first problem is that liberalism has a, a false or inaccurate definition of what it means to be human and what it means to be free. And second, uh, liberalism has gone into overdrive. Uh, It it has uh, gone beyond our control. It almost cannot stop itself. It has to follow its own logic. And as it goes, it is dissolving every bond in its path. And if you're a visual person like me, you can picture it this way. Uh, I want you to imagine that you are an atom. That every person is one individual atom. Well, atoms come together uh, in molecular structures and compounds. Atoms bond together in unique ways uh, to form specific substances for a specific purpose. Uh, so. Victoria, you can go ahead and throw up the first slide. This is an image of a molecular structure of atoms coming together bonded with one another. And for our purposes, you can think of these bonds as uh, representing relationship and commitment and hierarchy and culture. In fact, you could think of this picture as an image of uh, an extended family, right? Uh, All of them uh, bonded together in hierarchical relationships of love and commitment. And and so what was God's sort of design for humanity is that families would look something like this, that they would come together uh, in strongly uh, bonded ways, but then as a molecule, so to speak, but then many molecules would then be bound together in communities and and in towns and in in cultures and in nations to become uh, larger structures. And you can uh, think of these, uh, if you imagine yourself as one atom within these bonds, and these could be uh, two communities or even two towns or two nations full of strong bonds. The stronger these bonds are, the more defined your identity is and and the more secure you are within that culture. Here's the problem. Liberalism doesn't like these bonds. Big government doesn't like these bonds. The free market economy doesn't like these bonds. And so there's a pressure to dissolve them. Big government doesn't like these bonds because it wants a bunch of free-floating atoms that only relate to the government. It's a lot easier to control. Strong bonds and and cultures are hard to control. Um, The the free market economy wants to dissolve these structures because it wants a bunch of free-floating atoms, free-floating consumers, whose identity is formed by what they consume. So so to have these structures actually makes it harder for big government to rule, and and it's less efficient for our consumer economy. And, And so the push on the left and the right is toward individualism, toward dissolving these bonds. Liberalism says, and stick with me here, Liberalism says that bonds are the enemy. We we need to break them down. It looks at molecular structures and says, we need to break down all of these bonds until we get back to the state of nature, the state of freedom as free-floating atoms. So instead of strong families bonding together, with other strong families, to form strong communities, to form strong uh, towns, to form strong nations, instead, we get something very different. Uh, Instead, liberalism comes in and breaks down those bonds at every level until all you have left is something that looks like this. it's, It's a bathtub, full of ping pong balls. It's, it's hundreds or thousands or even hundreds of millions of free floating atoms who are not truly connected to anyone, but each one can do whatever the heck it wants to do. And if you understand that basic uh, fact about liberalism, if you understand that definition of freedom, then so much of what is happening in our time, place, and culture begins to make sense. You can track from a quote, the greatest generation of World War II to ours, which isn't very long in terms of history. And many people will ask, "Hey, what has happened to the concept of being a citizen, an, an American citizen who's part of something bigger? Why, why has that crumbled over the last 80 to 100 years. Well, well, that idea has dissolved in the acid of liberalism. Uh, because liberalism is not a culture, it, it is an anti-culture. It, it devours and dissolves culture as it goes. It breaks down community. It trains us to think of ourselves as free-floating consumer atoms whose only common thread with one another is the government that rules over us, the laws that government produces, and the things which we consume. That's what it wants, and that's what it's done. Liberalism one. And here's the proof. Most Americans see themselves not as citizens uh, embedded in culture and community, rich with obligations, connections, and expectations, but rather we see ourselves as free-floating consumer atoms detached from all time, place, culture, and tradition. We are lonely, disconnected, and afraid. And yet in the same breath, we are afraid of commitment, obligation, and strong bonds. Liberalism has trained us to fear the very connections that we crave. If I was in the South, someone would say amen. And and you can run that through every aspect of American life. Why is there such a culture among youth in America of sleeping around and delaying marriage? Well, in part because marriage is commitment. Marriage is a strong bond. And we've been trained to see strong bonds as scary and suffocating. In fact, even when you sleep around in our culture, you're supposed to tell yourself, hey, don't get attached. Do not form a bond with this person. Because bonds are bad. Commitment is bad. Community itself, just as a concept with all of its bonds and obligations is a scary thing now. It is something to avoid, not something to seek out. Uh, we are so disconnected, we're so lonely, we crave connection. But as soon as someone says commitment, obligation, hierarchy, relationship, authority, as soon as someone says One of those words, particularly if you're 40 or under, there's this almost allergic reaction that happens within us. We we react against. Those are bad words. Those are things I need to run from. Our chest tightens up. We, We feel within ourselves the impulse to shrink back, to avoid community, to avoid commitment. Why do we do that? Why do we react that way? It's because liberalism has trained us to react that way. That comes from the secular culture that we live in. Uh, Why as a nation are we so anxious all the time? Well, in part, it's because we are free-floating atoms who have no identity, no security, no genuine community, and therefore we have no safety net beyond the money that we can accumulate. There are no strong bonds. It's just me in a sea of lonely people, hoping that big governments or the free market economy will take care of me and meet my needs. And then on a cultural level, we say, oh, you're excited about, you know, the free market economy, head to the right. You, you belong over here. Oh, you're not as excited about the free market economy. You don't think that's going to cut it. You think we need big government. Okay, you head to the left. You hang out over here. These are your people. And then we spend all of our time hating each other. Oh man, the left is so lame and their ideas are so, I, I hate those guys. Oh man, the right and the ideology, they, I, I hate those guys. And, and we critique and criticize one political side or the other, not realizing that what we really hate, that what we're reacting against, is actually not the right or the left. It's the aspects of liberalism that we see in the right and the left. If you step back from the perspective of political philosophy, you'll see that both the right and the left in our country are cursing one half of liberalism while advancing the other half. They, they're like two pedals on the same bike. So when you're in the trenches, you say, oh, this, that is my political opposite. I, th- those guys are the worst. But as you push one down, the other rises and you push the other one down and this one rises, you say, oh, we need to push down the left so the right can be on top. We need to push down the right so the left can be on top. And what we don't realize is that it's like pedaling a bike. The project of liberalism just keeps moving forward. And what's really sad is that the aspects that each side wants to advance, advance really easily. And the aspects of liberalism that each side is resisting, they typically resist in vain. Which is why, generally speaking, we can bounce between the left and the right in the Oval Office and the project of liberalism just keeps marching forward. Despite attempts on both sides to slow it down or to take a different path. That's a whole nother sermon. For another time, we, we don't have, I probably shouldn't have opened that can of worms. Instead, let's turn the corner. I'll bring it back. We've looked at the problem. What's the solution? Uh, what is the antidote to the raging beast that is liberalism and the isolation, anxiety, depression, and loneliness that it breeds? Uh, Patrick Deneen, political philosopher and author of Why Liberalism Failed, says it this way. He says, a better course, or the way forward, will consist in smaller local forms of resistance, practices more than theories, the building of resilient new cultures against the anti-culture of liberalism. Or said another way, the solution to the problems our society is up against sounds like biblical community practicing the way of Jesus in a specific time and place in beautiful resistance as the family of God. It's a bunch of imperfect people coming together and committing to one another under the kingship of Jesus. It's Colossians 3. It says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another in all of our imperfection. And if one has a complaint against another which you will, if you're in biblical family, then you forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Notice that language. The Bible is teaching us, verse by verse, week over week, how to form strong bonds. Uh, how to become the family of God. He, he, He literally ends these verses with an image of us all being bound together in perfect harmony. Scripture says God takes the lonely and he places them in families. He takes free-floating atoms and he brings them into beautiful, uh, local, molecular formations, binding us together in harmony, in a context and community in which we can learn all over again what it truly means to be human and what it truly means to be free. And that's the invitation moving forward. Uh, The solution to the acidic culture that we live in, the solution to free-floating atoms, according to political philosophy, is, and I quote, the fostering of new and better selves, or we would say new creations in Christ, porously invested in the fate of other selves. Through the cultivation of cultures of community, care, self-sacrifice, and small-scale democracy. This is a philosopher speaking about political philosophy and the problem we're in. He says, our hope is that a better practice might arise, and from it, ultimately, perhaps a better theory than the failing project of liberalism to bring it back as we close or to put this in other words, you and I are living at the beginning of the ends of the next Roman Empire. And the solution that our world needs so badly is biblical community. It is thousands upon thousands of genuine expressions of the family of God. The empire of liberalism will collapse. And in fact, the more successful it is, the shorter its lifespan becomes. It literally eats the foundation out from under itself. It will topple it will fall. And my prayer is that thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of local, genuine expressions of the family of God will rise out of the ashes of liberalism and take its place. Communities who know how to form strong bonds within a culture of lonely, anxious atoms. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to approach church as consumers looking for spiritual entertainment, avoiding commitment simply because it's commitment, and, and leaving on a whim. or at the first bump in the road. That is, to import, that is to import the culture into the kingdom instead of importing the kingdom into the culture. And in the year that lies ahead, we have a tremendous opportunity to be a genuine expression of the family of God in the midst of a time, place, and culture that has forgotten what that looks like. Let's pray. (sighs) Hmm. Jesus, we come before you this morning, uh, I think first off, confessing. Um, I will confess that this was an easy sermon to write because I spent the first 20 years uh, eating and thinking and breathing This stuff. And honestly, since I've given my life to you, it's been a long, slow process of trying to sort out which parts of my life and thinking are from scripture and which part of of my thinking and actions and life actually come uh, from a very non biblical culture that we swim in. And so, Lord, I'll be the first one to admit that I can hear words like hierarchy and authority and commitment and, and community and have, there's a reaction in my heart. This isn't just an outsider thing. I think this is an all of us thing that, that I need to sort out in my heart what I'm carrying from you and, and in what ways I've been formed by forces, historical forces that I, that I barely understand. Jesus, I will uh, confess freely before you that there are days where it's way easier to think and act like the culture than it is to act like the New Testament church. And and yet you say, this this is freedom. This is salt. This is light. It's it's not that we need more secular thinking in the church. It's that we need way more biblical thinking in, in the culture. And and so, Lord, as we um, wrestle with these things, I pray that you would guide us. Uh, I I pray that you would reveal the truth to us that we are stronger together than we ever could be apart, that we are actually more free together than we ever could be apart. And, And, Lord, I pray that this would be a community of strong bonds. I pray for strong marriages. I pray for strong families. And I pray that, that strong bonds would be formed as we come together as the family of God. That this would not be a place uh, of, of consumerism or some shallow version of Christianity, but, but people would be able to walk in and say, wow, there's a sense of family here. And in it, I actually sense a freedom from the stifling anxiety and loneliness and confusion that has washed over our culture. Jesus, would you come in your love, in your mercy, in your grace, in your power, would you show us a better way forward as we work this out together? in the power of the Spirit, and in Jesus' name. Amen.